0: SECTION 11 OF AROUND THE WORLD ON A BICYCLE, VOLUME 2 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Tomko AROUND THE WORLD ON A BICYCLE, VOLUME 2 BY THOMAS Stevens. CHAPTER Six: THE UNBEATEN TRACKS OF khorasan PART One. During the afternoon, I traverse a rocky canon, crossing and recrossing a clear, cold stream that winds its serpentine course from one precipitous wall to another. Mountain trout are observed disporting in this stream, and big, gray lizards scuttle nimbly about among the loose rocks on the bank the canon gradually dwindles into a less confined passage between two sloping hills of loose rock and boulders a wild desolate region through which the road leads gradually upward to a pass part way up this gorge is a rude stone tower about twenty feet high on the summit of which is perched a little mud hut looking almost as though it might be a sentry box while yet a couple of hundred yards away a rough-looking customer emerges from the tower and appears to be awaiting my approach his head is well-nigh hidden beneath a huge corasani busby and he wears the clothes of an irregular soldier The long, shaggy wool of the sheepskin headdress dangling over his eyes imparts a very ferocious appearance, and he is armed with the ordinary Perusian sword and one of those antiquated flintlock muskets that are only to be seen on the deserts of the east or in museums of ancient weapons. Taken all in all, he presents a very ferocious front. He is, in fact, about the most ruffianly-looking specimen I have seen outside of Asiatic Turkey. As I ride up, he motions for me to alight. At the same time, retreating a few steps toward his humble stronghold, betraying a spirit of apprehension, lest, perchance, he might be unwittingly standing in the way of danger. Greeting him with the customary salaam aleikum, and being similarly greeted in reply, I dismount to ascertain who and what he is. He retreats another step or two in the direction of his strange abode and eyes the bicycle with evident distrust, edging off to one side as I turn toward him, as though fearful lest it might come whizzing into his sacred person at a moment's notice like a hungry buzz In response to my inquiries, he points up toward the pass and offers to accompany me thither for the small sum of yekiran, giving me to understand that without his presence it is highly indiscreet to proceed. Little penetration is required to understand that this is one of the little blackmailing schemes peculiar to semi-civilization, and which it is perhaps hardly necessary to explain, comes a trifle too late in the chapter of my Asiatic experiences to influence my movements or to replenish the exchequer of the picturesque and enterprising person desirous of shielding me from imaginary harm. This wily individual is making his living by the novel and ingenious process of trading on the fears and credulity of stray travellers, making them believe the pass is dangerous, and charging them a small sum for his services as guard. It is not at all unlikely that he is the present incumbent of an hereditary right to extort blackmail from such travellers along this lonely road as may be prevailed upon without resorting to violence to pay it and is but humbly following in the footsteps of his worthy sire and still more worthy grand sire the pass ahead is neither very steep nor difficult and the summit once crossed and the first few hundred yards of rough and abrupt declivity overcome i am able to mount and wheel swiftly down long gradients of smooth hard gravel for four or five miles alighting at the walled village of Asababad in the presence of its entire population Some keen-sighted villager has observed afar, off the strange apparition gliding swiftly down the open gravel slopes, and the excited population have all rushed out in breathless expectancy to try and make out its character. The villagers of Asababad are simple-hearted people, and both men and women clap their hands like delighted children to have so rare a novelty suddenly appear upon the scene of their usually humdrum and uneventful lives. Quilts are spread for me on the sunny side of the village wall, and they gather eagerly around to feast to the full their unaccustomed eyes. A couple of the men round up a matronly goat and exact from her the tribute of a bowl of milk. Others contribute bread, and the frugal repast is seasoned with the unconcealed delight of my hospitable audience." they are not overly clean in their habits though these rude and isolated people and to keep off prying housewives bent on satisfying their curiosity regarding the texture of my clothing and the comparative whiteness of my skin i am compelled to adopt the defensive measure of counter-curiosity the signal and instantaneous success of this plan resulting in the hasty scrambling retreat of the women is greeted with boisterous merriment by the entire crowd I have made up my mind to remain overnight with the hospitable people of Asabadad, But, at the solicitation of a Persian traveler who comes along, I conclude to accompany him to a building observable in the distance ahead, which he explains is a small but comfortable Sarai. The good villagers seem very loath to let me go so soon, and one young man kneels down and kisses my dusty Gaivez and begs me to take him with me to Hindostan, strange unsophisticated people how simple-hearted how childlike they seem the caravanserai is but a couple of miles ahead but it is situated in the dip of an extensive basin-like depression between two mountain ranges and the last half-mile consists of mud and water eighteen inches deep the caravanserai itself stands on a slight elevation and is found occupied by a couple of families who make the place their permanent abode and gain a livelihood by supplying food, firewood, and horse-feed to travellers. Upon our arrival, a woman makes her appearance and announces her willingness to cater to our wants. Noon-ass? Yes, plenty of bread. Tok me morgenisif, nice Look me morj-nice. Shirah ass? Shirah, nice? What have you, then, besides bread? For answer, the woman points to a few beruffled chickens scratching for grains of barley among a heap of rubbish that has evidently been exploited by them times without number before, and says she can sell us chickens at one charon apiece. Seeing the absence of anything else, I order her forthwith to capture one for me and the persian gentleman orders another the woman sets three youngsters and a yellow tailless dog to run down the chickens and in a few minutes presents herself before us holding in each hand the plucked and scrawny carcass of a fowl that has had to scratch hard and persistently for its life for heaven knows how many years One of the chickens is considerably larger than the other, and I tell the Persian gentleman to take his choice, thinking that with himself and his two servants he would be glad to accept the larger fowl. On the contrary, however, he fixes his choice on the smaller one. Touched by what appears to be a simple act of unselfishness, I endeavor to persuade him to take the other, pointing out that he has three mouths to fill, while I have only one, my importunities are, however, wasted on so polite and disinterested a person, and so I reluctantly take possession of the bulkier fowl. The Persian servant dissects his master's purchase and stows it away for future use. The three, making their supper off bread and a mixture of grease, chopped onions, and shira from the larder of their saddle bags. The woman readily accepts the offer of an additional half-carrant for relieving me of the onerous task of cooking my own supper, and takes her departure, promising to cook it as quickly as possible. Happy in the contemplation of a whole chicken for supper, I sit around and chat and drink tea with my disinterested friend for the space of an hour. To a hungry person, an hour seems an ominously long period of time in which to cook a chicken and, becoming impatient, the Persian gentleman's servant volunteers to go inside and investigate. I fancy detecting a shadow of amusement passing over the face of the gentleman, and his servant departs, and when he returns with the intelligence that the chicken won't be tender enough to eat for another hour, his risibilities get the better of his politeness, and he gives way to uncontrollable laughter then it is that a gleam of enlightenment steals over my unsuspecting soul and tells me why my guileless fellow-traveller so politely and yet so firmly selected the smallest of the fowls he is a better judge of persian morges than i the woman finally turns up bringing the result of her two hours culinary perseverance in a large pewter bowl she has cut the chicken up into several pieces and has been industriously keeping the pot boiling from the beginning the result of this laudable effort is meat of gutta percha toughness upon which one's teeth are exercised in vain but i make a very good supper after all by breaking bread into the broth i don't know but that the patriarchal ruler of the roost makes at least the richer broth thin ice covers the water when i leave this caravanserai in the gray of the morning and the persian travellers who nearly always start before daybreak have already departed stories were heard yesterday evening of streams between here and the southern chain of mountains deep and difficult to cross and i pull out fully expecting to have to strip and do some disagreeable work in the water considerable mud is encountered and three small streams not over three feet deep are crossed but further on i am brought to a stand by a deep sluggish stream flowing along ten feet below the level of the ground. Though deep, it is very narrow in places, and might almost be described as a yawning crack in the earth filled with water to within ten feet of the top. A little way upstream is a spot fordable for horses, and of course fordable also for a cycler, but the prevailing mud and the chilliness of the morning combine to influence me to try another plan. A happy plan, it seems at the moment, a credit to my inventive genius, and spiced with the seductive condiment of novelty, the stream is sufficiently narrow at one place to be overcome with a running jump. But people cannot take running jumps encumbered with a bicycle. The bicycle, however, ran quickly and easily be taken into several parts and then thrown across, the jump made, and the wheel put together again packages pedals and backbone with rear wheel are tossed successfully across but the big wheel attached to fork and handlebar, unfortunately rolls back and disappears with a splash beneath the water the details of the unhappy task of recovering this all-important piece of property how I have to call into requisition for the first time the small, strong rope I have carried from Constantinople, how, in the absence of anything in the shape of a stick, in all the unproductive country around, I have to persuade my unwilling and goose-pimpled frame into the water and duck my devoted head beneath the waves several times, before succeeding in passing a slip noose over the handle. Is too harrowing a tale to tell. It makes me shiver and shrink within myself, even as I write." Beyond the stream, the road approaches the southern framework of the plain with a barely discernible rise, and dry, hard paths afford fair wheeling. Looking back, one can see the white, uneven crest of the Elber's Range peeping over the lesser chain of hills crossed over yesterday, showing wondrously sharp and clear in the transparent atmosphere of a more or less desert country. A region of red clay bills and innumerable little streams ends my riding for the present, and the road eventually leads into a cul-de-sac, the source of the little streams and the home of spongy morasses whose deceptive mossy surface may or may not bear one's weight. Bound about the cul-de-sac is a curious jumble of rocks and red clay heights the strata of the former inclining to the perpendicular and sometimes rising like parallel walls above the earth reminding one of the devil's slide in weber canyon utah a stiff pass leads over the brow of the range and on the summit is perched another little stone tower but no valiant champion of defenseless wayfarers issues forth to proffer his protection here perhaps our acquaintance of yesterday comes down here when he wants a change of air From the pass, the descent is into a picturesque region of huge rocks and splendid streams that come bubbling out from among them, and farther along is a more open space, a few fields of grain, and the little hamlet of Camin. Stopping here an hour for refreshments, the country again seems rough and hilly, for several miles. The road then descends a rocky slope to the plain, where a few miles ahead can be seen the crenellated walls and suburban orchards and villages of Torbet-e-Haydari. Remembering my letter from the Governor-General to subordinate officials, I permit a uniformed horseman, who seems anxious to make himself useful in the premises, to pilot me into the city, telling him to lead the way to the Mustafa's office. Guiding me through the narrow, crowded streets into the still more crowded bazaar, he descants from his commanding position in the saddle, to the listening crowd, on the marvelous nature of my steed and the miraculous ability required to ride it as he had seen me riding it outside the walls. Having accomplished his vain purpose of attracting public attention to himself through me, and by his utterances aroused the popular curiosity to an ungovernable pitch, he rides off and leaves me to extricate myself and find the Mustafa as best I can. The ignorant, inconsiderate mob at once commence shouting for me to ride. So are Shook! So are Shook! Tomasha! Tomasha! a thousand people cry in the stuffy ill-paved bazaar as they struggle and push and surge about me giving me barely room to squeeze through them when it is discovered that i am seeking the mustafa there is a great rush of the crowd to reach the municipal compound and gain admittance lest perchance the gates should be closed after i had entered and a tomasha be given without them seeing following along with the crowd, the compound is reached and found to be jammed so tightly with people that the greatest difficulty is experienced in forcing my way through them to the Mustapha's quarters. Nobody seems to take a particle of interest in the matter, save to lend their voices to help swell the volume of the city for me to ride. Nobody, in all the tumultuous mob, seems capable of the simple reflection that there is no room whatever to ride." not so much as a yard of space unoccupied by human beings. They might with equal propriety be shouting for a fish to swim without providing him with water. The Mustafa is found seated on the raised floor of his open-fronted office, examining, between whiffs of the Kalyan, papers brought to him by his subordinates, and I hand him my general letter of recommendation. Taking a cursory glance at the contents, he gives a sweep of his chin toward the bicycle and says, So are Shuk, Tomasha, pointing out the other impossibility of complying with his request in a badly paved compound packed to its utmost capacity with people. He looks wearily at the ragged and unruly multitude before him, as though conscious that it would be useless to try and do anything with them, and then, giving some orders to an officer, resumes his official labors the officer summons a couple of farishes and with long willow switches they flog their way through the crowd opening a narrow but instantly filled again passage for me to follow outside the compound the officer practically forsakes me and goes over body and soul to the enemy filled with the same dense ignorance and overwhelming desire to see the bicycle ridden he desires also to gain the approbation of the crowd and so brings all his powers of persuasion to bear against me time and again while traversing with the greatest difficulty the narrow bazaar in the midst of a surging mob he faces about and makes the same insane request shouting like a maniac to make his voice audible above the din of a thousand clamorous appeals to the same purpose had i the power to annihilate the whole crazy maddening multitude with a sweep of the hand i am afraid they would at this juncture have received but small mercy The caravanserai is a big, commodious affair, a quadrangular structure of brick surrounding fully an acre of ground, and with a small open space outside. There is plenty of room to satisfy their insane curiosity here without jeopardizing my own neck, and, in a fruitless effort to gratify them, I essay to ride." My appearance in the saddle is greeted with wild shouts of exultation, and in their eagerness to come closer and see exactly how the bicycle is propelled and prevented from falling over, they close up in front as well as behind, compelling an instant dismount to prevent disagreeable consequences to myself. Howls of disapproval greet this misinterpreted action, and the officer and Farachez commence flogging right and left to clear a space for another trial. This time, while circling about in the small amphitheater, walled around by shouting, grinning human beings, wanton youngsters from the rear shy several stones, and the officer comes near, giving me a header by accidentally inserting his willow staff in the front wheel while pointing out to the crowd the action of the pedals and the modus operandi of things in general. The officer evidently regards me as the merest dummy unable to speak or comprehend a word of the language or help myself in any way the result it is presumed of some explanation to that effect in the letter and he stalks about with the proud-bearing and self-conscious expression of a showman catering successfully to an appreciative and applauding populace the accommodation provided at the caravanserai consists of doorless menzils, elevated three feet above the ground A walled partition with an open archway divides the quarters into a room behind and an open porch in front. Conducting me to one of these free-for-anybody places, which I could just as easily have found and occupied without his assistance, he takes his departure, leaving me to the tender consideration of an overbearing ragamuffin mob in whom the spirit of wantonness is already aroused. I attempt to appeal to the reason of my obstreperous audience by standing on the menzel front and delivering a harangue in such Persian as I have at command. Sora Shuk nice Tomasha Nais nice Kub nice Inshila Saba Gidi Kub Ra Birjandi Kaili Kub Lomasha Kai Lib Kub Tomasha Saba is the burden of this harangue. But, eloquent though it be in its simplicity, it fails to accomplish the desired end. Their reply to it all takes the form of howls of disapproval, and the importunities to ride become more clamorous than ever. An effort to keep them from taking possession of my quarters by shoving them off the front porch results in my being seized roughly by the throat by one determined assailant and cracked on the head with a stick by another ignorant of a Ferengi's mode of attack, the presumptuous individual, with his hand twisted in my neck handkerchief, cocks his head in a semi-sidewise attitude, in splendid position to be dropped like a pole-axed steer by a neat tap on the temple. He wears the green camberbund of a Sayyid, however, and even under the shadow of the legations in Tehran, it is a very serious and risky thing to strike a descendant of the Prophet for a lone infidel to do so in the presence of two thousand mussulman fanatics already imbued with the spirit of wantonness would be little less than deliberate suicide so a sense of discretion intervenes to spare him the humiliation of being knocked out of time by an unhallowed fist the stiff united states army helmet Obtained it will be remembered at Fort Sydney, Nebraska, and worn on the road ever since, saves my bump of veneration from actual contact with the stick of number two, and finding me making only a passive resistance, the valiant individual in the green camberbund relaxes both the severity of his scowl and his grip on my neck gear after this there is no use trying to keep them from invading my quarters and i deem it advisable to stand closely by the bicycle humouring their curiosity and getting along with them as peaceably as possible the crowd present is constantly augmented by new arrivals from without at least two thousand people are struggling pushing and shouting some coming forward to invade my menzel others endeavouring to escape from the crush While the rowdiest portion of the crowd struggle and push and shout in the foreground of this remarkable scene, little knots of big-turbaned molahs and better-class citizens are laying their precious heads together, scheming against me in the rear. Now and then a messenger in the semi-military garb of a farash pushes his way to the front and delivers a message from these worthies, full of lies and deceit from the top of their shaved and turbaned heads to the soles of their slipshod feet they are filled with a pig-headed determination to accomplish their object of seeing the bicycle ridden they send me all sorts of messages from one of but ordinary improbability saying that the Mustafa is outside and wants me to come out and ride to one altogether ridiculous in its wild absurdity promising me a present of two tomans Occasionally, a dervish holds aloft the fantastic paraphernalia of his profession, battles his way through the surging human surf, and with his black, ferret-like eyes gleaming with unconscious ferocity through a vision of unkempt hair, thrusts his nut alms receiver under my nose and says, Huck ya Huck, or Bakshish, shouting at, gesticulating at, intrigued against and solicited for alms all at the same time, and with brain-turning persistency, the classic halls of Bedlam would, in contrast, be a reposeful and calm retreat. Driven by my tormentors, almost to the desperate resolve of emptying my six-shooter among them, let the result to myself be what it may, the sun of my persecutions has not reached the meridian even yet, the officer who an hour ago inconsiderately left me to my own resources now returns with a large party of friends bent on seeing the same wonderful sight that has seemingly set the whole city in an uproar he has been about the place collecting friends and acquaintances for the purpose of treating them to an exhibition of my skill on the wheel the purpose of the officer's return, with his friends, is readily understood by the crowd, and his arrival is announced by a universal roar of Soar Tomasha, as though not one of this insatiable mob had yet seen me ride. Appearing before the elevated porch of the Menzel, he beckons me to come ahead in quite an authoritative manner the peculiar beckoning twist of this presumptuous individual's chin and henna stained beard summoning me to come out and perform reminds me of nothing so much as some tamer of wild animals ordering a trained baboon to spruce himself up and dance for the edification of the circus-going public signifying my unwillingness to be thus made a circus of over and over again the officer beckons even more peremptorily than before and even makes a feint of coming and fetching me out by force as may well be believed the sum of my patience is no longer equal to the strain and jerking my revolver around from the obscurity of its hiding-place at my hip to where it can plainly be seen and laying a hand menacingly on the butt i warn him to clear off in a manner that causes him to wilt and turn pale. He leaves the caravanserai at once in high dudgeon. It has been a most humiliating occasion for him to fall so ignobly from the very high horse on which he just entered with his bosom friends, but is no more than he rightly deserves. Shortly after this little incident, the part proprietor of Chai Khan, not far from the caravanserai, proposes that I leave my menzel and come with him to his place. Happy in the prospect of any kind of a change that will secure me a little peace, I readily agree to the proposal and at once take my departure. A few stones are thrown, fortunately, without doing any damage, ere the chai khan is reached, but once inside, the situation is materially improved. It soon transpires that the speculative proprietors have conceived the bright idea of utilizing me as an attraction to draw customers to their place of business. Two men are stationed at the door with clubs, and admittance is only granted to likely-looking people who have money to spend on water pipes and tea. A rival attraction already occupies the field in the person of a Tabori's Turkish looty with a performing rib-nosed mandrill and a drum. Now and then, when the crowd with no money to spend becomes too clamorous about the doorway, the looty goes to the assistance of the guards and, giving the mandrill the length of his chain, chases the people away. These wandering troubadours and their performing monkeys are common enough all over Persia, and one often meets them on the road or in the villages. But the bicycle is quite a different thing, and the enterprising chanjis do a roaring business all the evening with customers pouring in to see it and me. The bicycle, the lute, and the mandrill occupy the back part of the large room where several lamps and fardouses envelop this attractive and drawing combination with a garish and stagey glow so that they can be seen to advantage by the throngs of eager visitors. My own place, as the lion of the occasion, is happily in the vicinity of the samovar where liberal-minded customers can treat me to cigarettes and tea ridiculous as is my position in the chai khan it is of course infinitely superior in front of comfort and freedom from annoyance to my exposed quarters over at the caravanserai the ludi sings doubtful love-songs to the accompaniment of finger strumming on the drum and the mandrill now and then condescends to stand on its head grunt loudly in response to questions, spin round and round like a dancing dervish, and otherwise give proof of his intelligence and accomplishments. Its long hair is shorn from the lower portion of its body, but its head and shoulders are covered with a wealth of silvery grayish hair that overlaps the nakedness of its body and gives it the grotesque appearance of wearing a tippet the animal's temper is anything but sweet, necessitating the habitual employment of a muzzle to prevent him from biting. Every ten or fifteen minutes, as regular almost as the movements of father time, the mandrill's bottled discontent at being made to perform seems to reach the explosive point, and, springing suddenly at his master, he buries his nose viciously among his clothing in a determined effort to chew him up this spasmodic rage subsides in horrible grunts of disappointment at being unable to use his teeth and he becomes reasonably tractable again for another ten minutes the Ludi himself is filled with envy and covetousness at the immense drawing powers of the bicycle and in a burst of confidence wants to know if i am an Ingelis lot at the same time placing his four fingers together as an intimation that if I am, we ought by all means to form a combination and travel the country together. About ten o'clock, the kanjis make me up quite a comfortable shakedown, and, tired out with the tough journey over the mountains and the worrying persecutions of the afternoon, I fall asleep while yet the house is doing a thriving trade. The lutey singing, the mandrill grunting, calians bubbling, and people talking all fail to keep me awake. The mental and physical exhaustion that makes this possible does not, however, prevent me from falling asleep with a firm determination to leave Torbet E. Haideri and its turbulent population too early in the morning for any more crowds to gather. Accordingly, the morning star has scarcely risen above the horizon ere I turn out. Waken one of the kanjis, pocket some bread, and depart. Beyond the streams and villages about Torbet-e-Haidari, the country develops into a level desert, stretching away southward as far as I can reach. The trail is firm gravel, the wind is favorable, the morning cool, and the fresh clear air of the desert exhilarating under these favorable conditions i bowl rapidly along overtaking in a very short time night marching camel riders that left the city last night traces of old irrigating ditches and fields in one or two places tell the tale of an attempt to reclaim portions of this desert long ago but now the camel thorn and kindred hardy shrubs hold undisputed sway on every hand During the forenoon a small oasis is found among some low, shaly hills that give birth to a little stream, and consequent subsistence to a few families of people. They live together inside a high mud-walled enclosure and cultivate a few small fields of grain. The place is called Ker Abad, and the people mix chopped garlic with their bread before baking it, or sprinkle the dough liberally with garlic seeds. End of Section 11. Recording by William Tomko.